So we are in, uh, well, actually, we stopped right at the end of chapter 2 last week. And some of you kind of might have went, why did we stop at 23? There was only a few more verses to go. Well, if you look at, uh, at, at the way it's laid, John's laid out, I want you to remember something. John did not write this. This was a letter. And how do you write letters? Do you put, oh, chapter 1. Da, 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 oh, verse 2, verse 3. Verse, uh, chapters and verses were put in much, much later in an effort to make it easier for people to find things. And really, when you look at the book of John, when we get to the end, it's the cleansing of the temple in chapter 2. And then 23 is going to start a whole nother section. And so that's where we're going to be today. So grab your Bibles and let's look at John. And we're going to start chapter 2, verse 23. And then we're going to read on down through to 21. I want to read it all together because it really is fits all together and I don't want to break it up. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed what I say to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel? Do you not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does not hate, does not, does evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought by God. Wow. What an amazing transaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. And, and we go back, in the, and did you catch the big shift in verse 23? It says, now Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he was teaching, and he was preaching during the festival. Thousands and thousands of people came to the temple. And where did Jesus start his ministry last week? In the temple, in his father's house. Where else would you go to preach the word? You go to the father's house where people should know the son. I mean, I still, I go out to Waterloo quite often. My mom still lives on the home place. And I go out to Waterloo and, there, and people will see me and they'll go, Oh, you're J.B. and Barbara's son. They know me there. They know who we are. Because mom and dad have lived there for 63 years. Well, dad's gone, but, but mom's still there. They know who we are. And he went back, to, and he was doing miracles. And people were being healed. And I, but did you notice what he said? They believed in what? They believed in his name. They believed in, because they say, hey, have you guys heard that guy, Jesus? He's a pretty good preacher. Have you heard him teach in, in the temple? Man, he's amazing. He makes the, the, the word of God come alive. Well, he wrote it, didn't he? He ought to make it come alive. They knew who he was by his name. And they were drawn by the miracles. It was exciting. I mean, that's pretty cool when you can go down and you see somebody come running along and they go, that was the lame man who sat outside the temple and he just ran by me. Oh, wait a second. There's the deaf girl and she's hearing me. Hey, hi. There's, there's the person who was... They were seeing all of this happen, and they were excited. But they weren't really sure who he was. 
And see, that's the crux of it. They believed in his name, but they weren't sure who he was. Because, you know, a lot of people believe in, in the name of God. Matter of fact, James tells us what? You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. You see, you can talk to a lot of people and you'll say, hey, what do you, what do you think about God? Oh, I don't think much. Well, what do you think about Jesus? And they'll say, oh, well, he was, he, wasn't he a prophet guy? Wasn't he, didn't, didn't he live a long time ago and he was a he, you know, really good guy? Well, yeah, okay, but, but there's more to that story, isn't there? Because if all you believe is that Jesus did live, you, you've missed the point, haven't you? Because the demons believe. I mean, when Jesus was going around doing miracles, when he would get to a demon, what would they do? They would cry out and they would say, what do we have to do with you, son of God? They knew who he was. Don't send us into the abyss. Send us over here into the pigs. You see, knowing God is not enough. Knowing who God, and we're gonna, when we get to, in just a second, when we get to Nicodemus, we'll see somebody who really knew who God was. But knowing God is not enough. Romans tells us what? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord. Oh, wait a second. You mean he can't just be my savior? I thought that was all grace was about, was him as a savior. Oh, no. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you what? Will be saved. Will. No maybe. No, oh, we'll think about it. Fill out this questionnaire. And if you get all the questions right, then we'll let you know. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You see, we can know God really well, but if we don't believe God, it's our heart that changes us. It says resulting in what? Resulting in righteousness. What does that mean? It means we've changed course. What was he talking about? People, the world lives in darkness and doesn't see the light. Their deeds are evil. And, you've got, and we change that. When the light comes in, what happens to the darkness? The darkness goes away. But people can get hung up on a lot of things. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he says, I've kept all of these commandments. And he said, what? He said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And he went away sad because he had a lot. He had a lot. And, he, and, and so God says, and, and to others, when, when he came to James and John and Peter and Andrew, he said, come follow me. And what did they do? 
said they left their nets. They left their business. They came and followed him. It has to be a full surrender. And Jesus says that he didn't need to have anybody to to testify about him because he knew what? He knew every man's heart. You see, God knows their hearts. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew these people that were coming and following were following because they saw the miracles. He was, they were following him because, oh, gee whiz, he's a really good teacher. And that's great. But that's not enough. They needed to follow him because he was the son of God. And now we come to this man by the name of Nicodemus. Now it says that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So what does that mean? The Pharisees, so there was two sects, not S-E-X, S-E-C-T-S. There was the Pharisees over here and there were the Sadducees. Well, the Pharisees believed in a couple things that were very important to them. First of all, they believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament yet, but they said, we believe that God wrote the Old Testament. And to them, that was what? That was the Torah, first five books of the Bible. And then it was the prophets that were written later. They believed in the inspiration. And, and as we saw at Christmas time, there's all kinds of prophecies about Jesus coming, right? The Messiah is coming, where he was going to be born what he was going to do, the people that would come worship him. They knew all of those things. And they were like, going, huh, that's pretty cool. We believe in that. The second thing was they believed that the Messiah was coming. Now this Messiah, also in Greek it's called the Christ. But they believed he was coming. They didn't know when. But they believed that the Messiah would come. A matter of fact, last week, why, why did they go see John? Are you the one? Who are you? I'm not the Messiah. Sorry, guys. He's the one who comes after me. He's the one whom I'm called to, to prepare the way. He even stands among you and you don't even know it. They believed that the Messiah was coming. Third thing is they believed in miracles. They believed that they could, as part of the, the ruler, ruling caste of, of Israel, that they could perform miracles. They would be called upon to come out, and, and if somebody was, uh, had a demon, to, to exercise that demon. They believed in miracles. I mean, that's why there was, by the pool of, remember the story of Jesus walks by the pool of Bethesda, right? And when the water stirred, somebody would get down in the water and they would be healed. They believed in that. And the last thing is that they believed in the resurrection. Now, we're not talking about the specific resurrection of Jesus, but they knew 
that every man would one day be resurrected. They believed in that. Now that's, that's good stuff, isn't it? That's, that's not over here out in the left field. The Pharisees believed all those things, and that's really good stuff. But where was it? It was all right here. It was in their, in their head. They knew it. They studied the scriptures over and over again. And not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, Jesus calls him a ruler of the Jews. That put him in a very select group. There were 71 rulers. They were called the Sanhedrin. They were made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. But there was only 71 of them. And they were the ones who oversaw all the Jewish people. And he was one of them. In John chapter 7, when the people come to the Pharisees about Jesus wanting to say, hey, we need to go kill this guy, Nicodemus is the one that stands up and says, wait a second, we're not killing anybody. He speaks for all of the Sanhedrin. And not only that, but Jesus calls him, are you the teacher, the teacher in Israel? He's one of the top guys. He's one of the teachers within the teachers. Nicodemus was a very important man in the religious scene at the time. And when he comes to Jesus, it says he comes by night, and there's a lot of people who get kind of hung up with, oh, he was trying to sneak in to see Jesus without anybody knowing. Pharisees didn't sneak around. They, everybody knew him, especially the 71, the Sanhedrin. They wore special robes. They wore a special headdress. So just walking down the street, people would go, there's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's in the Sanhedrin. You don't sneak around when you're that way. And he comes to Jesus representing the Pharisees. Remember what happened when, when the, the, the priest came up to see John the Baptist? He said, we've been sent up to find out who you are. Well, I want you to notice verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, catch that? We know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He comes just like they did to John. Are you, who are you? We know you're a teacher. Couldn't miss that, could you? I mean, he's been coming to the temple since he was 12 years old. I mean, even at 12 years old, he was amazing the teachers in the temple. He was amazing the Pharisees. We know that you are a teacher. Kind of an important distinction, isn't it? And then what does he say? He says... And no one can do these signs unless God is with him. 
Do you notice what's happening here? We know you are a teacher from God. God sent you to teach us. You're from God. Then he says what? The miracles tell us that God is with you. But what does he leave out? What is the fundamental question that he is not answering? Who are you? Are you God? You're from God. God is with you. But are you the Messiah? He can't bring himself to ask that question. And so Jesus, I, I love, you know, he, he just cuts to the chase, doesn't he? Because why? He knew his heart. The unanswered question was, are you the Messiah? And so what does Jesus say to him? He says, truly, truly. Now what, what does that mean when it says truly, truly? Pay attention. This is important. You, you ever, you ever, I had a teacher in college. I loved him. He taught a big survey class. And, uh, and of course, those are really hard to grade because you got three, 400 kids in a class. And so most of the time, the tests were all multiple choice. And he would say, now when you see me do this, write it down because it's going to be on the test. And so we would all, you know, he would be teaching along and all of a sudden you'd hear, and you'd stop and, okay, it's going to be on test. That's what Jesus was doing. Pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Who rules over the kingdom of God? The Messiah. Unless you're born again. You can't see the kingdom. You're looking for the kingdom, aren't you? You're a Pharisee. You want to see the kingdom. Isn't that what all of the Old Testament is pointing towards? The kingdom of God. It's pointing towards Messiah. But unless you're born again. <laughs> and Nicodemus goes like this. Born again? Born again? <laughs> How does that work? How does that work? Can I, I can't crawl back into my mother's womb. He, with all of his knowledge, Jesus cuts to the chase with him and he tells him, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? You, you have to be born into the kingdom. He said, you've been born an Israelite. You were born into the Jewish nation. It's the only way you could be a Pharisee. You, you ha he had to be born into the Jewish nation. But to get into the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. He doesn't get it. He thinks Jesus is here to overthrow the Roman government. What is the kingdom of God? And so he looks at him and he, and he says then in verse 5, 
truly, truly, pay attention, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now we're going to stop here for a minute because this is one of those ones that you have to, there's a couple different answers to. And depending on who you follow or what, who you read, you have one of three possibilities here. So what is this born of water? Well, the first possibility is that he's talking about the physical birth. What do we call it when a, a mother's ready to give birth, she, her water breaks, right? The baby is surrounded by amniotic fluid, and when the, when the water breaks, the baby's born. And so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people who believe that when he says he must be born of water and the Spirit, that he's saying, well, you have to be born physically and you have to be born spiritually. I kind of, you know, that kind of raises some questions for me because obviously you have to be born physically, right? Because you can't believe until, you, until you're, you know, you have your mind, you have everything available there. So, but that is one. You have to be first in the kingdom of this world before you can be in the kingdom of God. The second one that a lot of people will point to is he's talking about baptism. You have to be born of water. Well, in a sense, that makes a little bit of, that makes a little more sense to me because where did Jesus just come from? He had just been baptized. Where had the Pharisees sent people to find out about John the Baptist? What was he doing? He was baptizing with water. But what was his baptism about? His baptism wasn't about becoming a Jewish person. His baptism was for what? Repentance. Repentance of sin. Now that begins to make a little bit, for me anyway, because John or Luke 3.3 3 says, And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. You see, we have to, what, is it, what did Romans tell us? We have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. What is that part, what is part of that? Sin. We need to repent from our sin before we can, before we can be changed by the Spirit. Okay, I can, I can get into that. Well, the third one has to do with the scriptures, the water is quite often described as scripture. Scripture as the water. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he says in John 15 when he's talking to his disciples, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You see, Jesus taught them what? You, you, you can't have sin. You have to repent of your sin. What did Jesus tell people when he would heal them? Sometimes he would, he would forgive their sins. And then what would he tell them? Go and sin no more. Right? The word is a cleansing. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Guys, you get this? 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Why do we talk about having a daily time of reading the Bible every day? It's, it, it is the same as washing your hands before you eat. Right? We, every day when we get up, we wash ourselves with the word. And I'm going to let you guys pick which one you like. All three of them are acceptable. They, they change the meaning a little bit. But Jesus was saying, you just don't get to where you need to be without repentance. You got to be willing to change your life. If you confess with the mouth, with your mouth, that he is Lord, that's the first part. And then the spirit comes. So the other half was what? You're born of the spirit. Well, once again, Nicodemus is doing this. Do we do that occasionally? Have you ever witnessed to somebody and you'll say something and they'll just go, I, I don't understand. It's because they're not ready yet. They, the, the Holy Spirit haven't stirred them to the point yet where they're ready to believe. But when somebody gets to that point, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes things. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, right? How many people want to tell you, if I say, why should, I, why should God let you into, into his heaven? What will they say? I've been, I've been a good person. I've treated people right. I'm, I, I, I'm even, I even write a check every now and then and send it to good causes. We, which He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, now watch this, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. The Holy Spirit gets involved. He begins to tell us, you know, when, when we can say, Gee whiz, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? <laughs> we give them that verse and the Holy Spirit goes, remember? Remember that? Remember that sin? He brings those things back to mind and then he says, then the Holy Spirit says, and the wages of sin are death. Oh, wow. And the Holy Spirit's like going, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? I don't want to die. And, but then we come to the second half of that verse, and what does it say? You, you memorized it this last year. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Holy Spirit's going, you get it? Do you get it now? As he, 
as he begins to renew that person, regenerate that person, and then they say, Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And salvation comes. Now it's interesting, he gives this, he, he, he gives this little information in, uh, when he says, consider the wind. He says, the wind blows, verse, verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Consider the wind. You can't see it. But you can feel its effects. You can see the treetops begin to blow. You can watch the leaves blow. On a hot afternoon, you can sit out on your porch and feel the wind blow through your hair. You feel the effects of the wind. But you can't see it. People ask you, well, well, what is this thing called faith? You say you have faith in Jesus. They can see the effects of the faith, hopefully, right? They see what God is doing in your life, but, but you can't sit down and say, here, this is faith. Feel it, handle it. You don't see that. You, you know that it's there. You can see the effects of it. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. You know, maybe they're looking at the palm trees as, as the picture here indicates. And the palm trees are something. You see the effects. You can feel it rustling your robes. You have to trust Ephesians tells us what? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as works so that no one can boast. You see, if anybody could have earned his way into heaven, would it have been Nicodemus? Oh, he was a righteous man. He knew the law. He kept the law. He was one of the rules. He was one of the guys who taught it. If anybody could have earned his way to heaven, it would have been Nicodemus. But Jesus tells him, no, you have to come by faith. You have to come by faith. And then in verse 14, he says, I'm going to give you an example of what has to happen. In verse 14, he tells them about what happened in Numbers chapter 21. Now, Nicodemus was a man of the law. He knew the Old Testament. He, he probably could have quoted chapter 21 of the book of Numbers when it says that the people grumbled against God. They complained to God and God looked down and he sent snakes. You ever wonder why you don't like snakes? Right? 
He sent the snakes in and the snakes began to bite people and people began to die. And, people, and the people were going, oh no, what, we need, are all of us going to die? Because the snakes were everywhere. Kind of makes you go like that, doesn't it? And he said to Moses, you go and you take some bronze and you form it into the, the shape of a serpent and you take it out into the middle. Now folks, we're talking several million people. This was a big snake that they put out and they hoisted it up. But was that the only thing that had to happen? No, that did not stop the plague of the snakes. What'd they have to do? It says that everyone who looked on the serpent was healed. And the snakes did not go past where they were. But everybody had to get out of their tent and look for the serpent. Look for the serpent. They couldn't just lay there in their tent and say, oh, God heal me. They had to actively seek out and look for the serpent. And then they were healed. And what does he say? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He has to be lifted up. Jesus points Nicodemus to the cross. He says, you, have, you need to understand. You're, you're probably not going to figure this out on your own. Not for a while yet. Because you don't understand God's plan for the Messiah. God's plan for the Messiah was not for him to come and overthrow the Romans. When Jesus came in on the triumphal entry, everybody wanted the Romans thrown out. And Jesus said, nope. The kingdom of God is going to come by the cross. He's going to come by the cross. The people of Israel had a sin problem. They knew they had a sin problem. And they were reminded of it every year when they would come and they would, the priest would lay his hand on the goat and they would they would put all of the sin of Israel on there and they would chase it out into the wilderness to die. You see, the people knew there was a sin problem. Nicodemus knew there was a sin problem. And he pointed him to the cross. And then we come to the verse that has been the most quoted verse, I believe, in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow. You take those verses, those few words, and everything you need to know is right there. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son. 
so that you would not perish, but that you would have eternal life. Now, you know the interesting part of this story? Do you see anything in the following verses that say, and Nicodemus believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? doesn't say that. He leaves it wide open. And I think it was purposeful. And we don't even know, even when you look at Nicodemus, we see him two more times. We see him in John chapter 7 when he, he says, don't kill Jesus. If he's not from God, God will take care of it. And the next time we see Nicodemus is when they go to bury Jesus. It says, Nicodemus brought an amazing amount of perfumes to bury Jesus. So it seems that he doesn't even believe yet. But I imagine that when Nicodemus was there with Joseph of Arimathea, and they were carrying the body to the cross, as they took him down off the cross, do you think this conversation came back into his mind? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Son of Man must, must be lifted up. Surely he is the Messiah, but he's dead. What sign had he told them in the temple? Tear down this temple and in three days I will lift it up. I will recreate it. And Nicodemus' mind must have been rolling. But I believe there's another reason that they didn't tell us. Because this is an open invitation, isn't it? For God so loved who? The world. The cosmos. Who does that include? It includes Hunter. And Diana. And Casey. And April. And Joe. And Sally. And Mary France. And Tom. All of us. But it is individual. Nicodemus had to come on his own. He had to come and he had to do two things. We've already mentioned it. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord. You have to come to the place where you say, you're not just Savior. You're Lord of my life. And number two, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And what does it say? You will be saved. You see, God puts it out there. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. But as Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, I believe he was looking over all of the world at the time. He was looking out and he was looking out over Jerusalem and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you, for me. You see, I was like Nicodemus. You guys can come on up. I was like Nicodemus. I was a 15-year-old kid raised in the church. My first memories 
driving my tricycle up and down in front of the church while my daddy built the block walls of the church where we attended. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, two weeks in July just because. I had Miss Christine was the was the most amazing Sunday school teacher. Third grade boys. She loved us like nobody could love us. And she, you know, I knew all that. I did the memory verses. I've got little pins somewhere of perfect attendance. But that didn't get me into heaven. I knew a lot. But it wasn't until one day when Bill Glass stood right out here in Memorial Stadium and he looked out across that stadium on a Thursday night and he says, you can know all about Jesus. You may even have been baptized. But until you move it from here to here, you aren't getting to heaven. Because there's a whole lot of people that know about Jesus, but until you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you claim him as Lord, not just Savior, but Lord. I had to do that for myself. My mom and daddy couldn't do it. They were there with me that night. My, my football buddies that was, were with me, they couldn't do it for me. I had to do it. I had to let go of the chair in front of me. I had to walk in front of all of my football buddies because I was sitting right in the middle and walk down that aisle and get on my knees in front of Memorial Stadium and say, God, you are Lord and I believe that you died for me and you rose again so that I could have eternal life. Thank you. And I will walk with you the rest of my days. It was individual. And each one of us have that opportunity.